Good morning, Emmaus. My name is Rachel Green, and I get to read scripture for you this morning. It's coming from Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. May God add a blessing to the hearing, understanding, and doing of the scriptures. Yeah. Y'all better laugh at this story, because I laughed writing it. And if you don't laugh, I'm going to feel really dumb. But the other day, uh, I was uh, hopped in my truck to go pick up the kids from school, right? And it was a nice day, so I left the windows down when I got back from the gym, let it air out in there because it gets a little stinky. You know what I'm talking about? And so I hop in the truck. I'm driving to the school when suddenly I realize that there is a wasp in my truck. Y'all say wasp. Wasp in my truck. Buzzes up from that little crack in between the windshield and the dashboard. You know, flies up there and just latches onto the ceiling right next to the passenger side visor. And is just staring at me. Right? Y'all ever had a wasp in your truck when you're driving? You've been there before? I've learned something about myself. And what I've learned is that this is one of those situations where there's a big difference between what I would advise you to do. It's just a little old wasp. Just leave it alone. Roll the windows down. He's going to fly right out. Won't bother you at all. There's that. I didn't do that. I freaked out. Freaked out. I got a deep fear of wasps. I was stung a few times as a kid, but I think it's even deeper than that. You see, I think my ancestors, like back to prehistoric days, I think my people were the people who found out wasps sting people. They found, so it's like deep for me. It's like it's in my genes. I feel it in my DNA. I just fear of wasps. And so I'm driving down the street, down the road. I'm like leaning out the window, you know, driving down the road, keeping my eye on this thing. And he knows I'm scared. He's just looking at me. He ain't flying towards the open window. He's staring right at me, mean mugging me. Then he starts to walk across the ceiling. Even cl- he's getting closer to me, right? And I, all I got in my mind is with that little kid sitting, Jerry Maguire. Remember that? Bees and dogs can smell fear. I'm like, he can smell my fear. He's playing with me. He's messing with me right now. I'm freaking out. And so I get to the school. I pull in hot to the pickup line, and I just jump out of the truck. I don't even remember putting it in park. <laughs> I jump out of the truck. I leave the door wide open. And suddenly I realized, I've startled the crossing guard. <laughs> this is a big man. He's moving suddenly. Do I need to tackle him? I can see it all in his face, you know? And I notice all the other parents. So I suddenly stop looking at their phone, and they're looking at me. And so I got to explain to them what's going on, right? But you know how when you get hyped, you get worked up, and your voice goes up an octave? Or like six, you know? That's what happened. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. It's just it's a wasp. Much. I'm like, it's like Mickey Mouse, you know? <laughs> you know? And so I got to get a plan together because I got a few minutes still. The kids haven't been let out. We're not picking them up yet. I got a few minutes to figure this out. I know I got to get that wasp out of the truck because my kids inherited my fear. 
And if they find out that there's a wasp in that truck, I don't care how fast we're going, they're out. They're getting out of the truck, right? So I got to figure something out. I realized I got this, like, little flyer, like coupons or something in the mail sitting in my truck. It's thick. It's got some weight to it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to reach in through the driver's side door, and I'm going to, like, shoo them. I'm going to shoo them out the passenger window, right? And so that's what I do. I get that paper, and I'm, I'm like, huh. And I'm, like, leaning in through the window. I'm like, huh. And that thing won't budge. I mean, he's just death grip on the ceiling. I'm like, what is this, a robot wasp? Is this like a Chinese spy drone shaped like a, like, doesn't skip leg, leg days kind of wasp, right? I'm like, I got to get aggressive here. That's what I do. I mean, I give it one oomph. And he lets go of the ceiling, but instead of flying out the passenger window, he flies right at my face. And so I tuck and roll. I'm not kidding. This really happened. I'm not kidding you. I tuck and roll. I'm on the ground waving my hands over my head. About, and everybody's watching. Crossing guards just like, yep. And so I look up, and I notice there's a wasp flying above the truck. And I'm like, all right, he's out. Yes. This is great. I'm good. I get back in the truck. I roll my windows up, turn the AC on, because at this point, I'm sweating, right? And I don't like to sweat. And so I'm driving, you know, car's moving. All of a sudden, what do I hear? That joker called in a friend. It's like a decoy or something. Because the wasp comes up out of the dashboard thing, but this time, he's on my side. He's on eye level, right in between the, the windshield and the whatever you call it. He's like right here, and he's just staring at me again. And so now I'm freaking out. I get my head out the window, looking at the cars in front of me to make sure I don't cause a fender bender over a wasp. But I realize I can see my kids. We're getting close. I only got a few moments here. I got to take this thing out, right? They're innocent faces. They don't even know what they're getting into. And so I realized I got one shot. You know how it is with a wasp. Like, if you don't end its life, it's going to sting you in the face, right? And so I take that thing. I wad it up. I'm like, I got, I got, I give it everything I got. I smashed that thing. I almost broke the windshield, but it didn't happen. I got the wasp right before the kids get into the car. And I'm like, hey, guys, how was your day? And they're like, why are you so sweaty, Dad? And you know, ah. I took him out, though. Are you proud of me? Some of you aren't proud of me right now. You're, you're embarrassed. You're embarrassed. And you should be. But you could say I took that wasp in my truck seriously. Some of you are like, a little too seriously, right? We can argue about that later. We can argue about that later. But we can all agree that I was really proactive. Am I right? Something was in my truck that shouldn't have been there, and I got serious about getting it out. You probably got something like that in your life. Like some of y'all, it's snakes, isn't it? What if you, <laughs> what if you knew there was a snake in your house? It was right before bedtime. Would you just sleep it off and get it in the morning? No. Some of y'all would be up all night long. Getting out. You're not going to bed, you know, if there's a snake in your house. No way. No way. You'd be really, really proactive in getting that thing out. Am I right? However, when it comes to our hearts, we're far less proactive. Am I right? Everybody say, ooh. That was good, wasn't it? I just landed. Ooh. There are some things that get stuck in our hearts that have the potential to do a lot more than just keep us from a good night's sleep. There are some things that can get stuck in here, that can get lodged in here, that can make a mess of things out there. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah? So today we're starting a brand new series called Heart of the Matter. I like that 90s vibe. It's kind of 80s, 90s, like right there on the threshold. I like it. I like it. But we're going to be dealing with some of the things that can get stuck in our hearts that can make a mess of our lives. And, you know, coming into this year, I really felt led to have us focus on our second common practice. You know, we're a church that's organized around common practices. 
second one is called wholehearted living. And it's essentially, it's about living more honestly. Honestly with God. Honestly with ourselves and one another. It's about being willing to do our work. You all know that really cliche Christian statement? God loves you just as you are. But God also loves you enough to not leave you you that way. You know, if I'm honest, I think we do that first part really, really well. God loves you just as you are. You're welcome here. But I want to make sure we do both parts well. God also loves you enough to not leave you that way. And the good news of the gospel is that we can change. We can become healthier versions of ourselves by working in step, you know, with the Spirit. So that's what this series is all about. We're going to be calling attention to some of the, the more dangerous things that can get stuck in our hearts and then go on to make a mess of our lives. And today we're going to talk about anger. But we're also going to talk about envy. We're going to talk about guilt. We're going to talk about pride. These aren't all the things that get stuck in our hearts, but I think these are some of the big ones that really mess us up. And, and more, than, more than I want this to be a series about these four things, I want this to be a series that inspires you and challenges you to pay attention to what's going on in here. Because we leak, don't we? And whatever's in here is eventually going to show up out there. It is. Like, have you ever, like, found yourself in a heated argument or it's been a bad day and you just lash out, you say something nasty, and you sort of hear yourself, and you're like, where did that come from? You know where it came from? In you. It came out of you because it was in you to begin with, right? And so more than anything, I want this to be a series that really does challenge you and inspire you to take time because we live in a part of the world that's obsessed with exteriors, and we pay little attention to our inner life, to what's going on in here. That's where we're going over the next several weeks. You with me? You dig? Yeah, can I pray for us? And then we'll get into the passage. Let's do it. God, thank you, thank you, thank you again for another chance to be together, to be here. And Lord, I know that there's some people who are bringing with them some anger. I'm not talking about anger to just flared up in the last 30 minutes. We all got that. I'm talking about anger they've been carrying with them for years. It's there. And I think this morning it's time for you to speak into it. So say something to us today that we all need to hear. And please don't let us leave here the same. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's talk about anger. I love this passage from Ephesians, written by a guy named Paul. And he's writing to a church in a city called Ephesus that he was really close to. I mean, he spent several years with them. Usually Paul was kind of there, and then he left. Not Ephesus. He's, he parked there for a while, and they were really close. And in this letter, he's trying to help them organize their life around their faith, to be the kind of people whose convictions about the most important stuff, like it would actually shape how they lived. Because for a lot of us, man, there's this disintegration that happens. There's what we say we believe, and then there's how we actually live our lives. And so really, the focus of this letter is trying to bring those two things together. And you can see it in how it's laid out. First half of the letters, all about the vertical relationship, your life with God, the things that are true because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Second half of the letter, he really turns a corner, and it gets super practical. And it's all about how this life between you and God is meant to spill over into your life with one another. And so this passage that we uh, had read to us just a little bit ago, it's right in the middle of that second half of, of the book. And it begins in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. More literally, here's what it says. Some of y'all are going to love this. A more literal translation is, be angry and do not sin. Some of you are like, I like, be angry. I like that. 
That's your life verse, isn't it? That's your real life verse. You might have like Philippians, I can do all things through Christ. No, that's not your life. Be angry. That's your life verse, right? Be angry. It doesn't sound like a suggestion to me, does it? It's a command. See, the scriptures point us towards emotional intelligence, not emotional avoidance. We are supposed to feel things. It's how we are wired. And anger is actually a natural reaction to something. You can't control it. Right? Sometimes we're supposed to feel angry. And, you know, some of us, though, we, we, we grew up in environments where we had to survive in settings where we were taught that the only way to deal with emotions, especially negative ones, is to not deal with them at all. Right? Just suppress them, just stuff them. But I love what Brene Brown says. She says, you can't selectively numb emotions. And she's a research psychologist. She knows what she's talking about. You cannot selectively, you know, numb or suppress emotions. If you dull the bad ones, guess what else you dull? You do all the good ones, right? So when we shut down our capacity to feel even the negative stuff, we also shut down that, that same part of us is connected to our capacity to feel joy. And so I wonder, man, for how many of us in this room dealing with depression, even anxiety, how much of it is from unresolved anger? We haven't let ourselves feel it. And so it shows up in our lives in all sorts of weird ways. So be angry. Y'all say, be angry. Like that? I like that. Be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but realize you're angry. Because anger is powerful, isn't it? It is a really powerful motivator. I don't know about you, but it gets like my heart beating fast when I'm mad. And then my mouth gets all dry. You feel that way? And then my lips start sticking to my teeth and I can't even talk. You ever feel that way when you're like really mad and you're like trying to talk and like your mouth just won't work? Anger is very powerful. My wife and I, we got into a little tiff the other morning, and I got mad. It was over something small, but I got really, really mad, and my mind just started racing, and then we were doing chores. It was like Saturday, so we're doing chores. I was flying through my chores. I mean, I was like warp speed, cleaning everything, but while I'm doing it, I'm like having the fight in my head. You ever do that? You have the argument before the argument, you know, and you're bringing up stuff from like forever ago, and you're like, man, you say this, and I'm going to say that. I'm like, it's like you're doing, I mean, I'm just moving a million miles an hour. Thankfully, I realized what I was doing. I was like, what are you? This is, you're like 10 miles down the road, right? You're just mad right now. Take a second. Breathe. Pause. Be angry, but do not sin. Realize you're angry. Bring some awareness to it. See, the goal isn't to react in anger. The goal is to respond to it which often requires a sort of pause. I'm not talking about denying it or avoiding it, but just pause and bring some awareness to it. Get to the heart of the matter. And the thing about anger, this is, this is practical. If y'all wake that person up, tell them, pay attention to this. Because this is huge. You know, emotions only tend to last about 90 seconds unless we fuel them with our stories. And the thing about anger is anger is a secondary emotion. Did you know that? It's a reaction to another emotion that you have at first. There's always a first emotion, and anger comes in as a way of sort of protecting you from that first one because we usually don't like the way the first one feels. When somebody disappoints you, lets you down, we live in a hyper-individualistic society where we're supposed to be okay and be able to take care of ourselves, but when somebody lets us down, that sounds like weakness because I'm dependent on you too much, and so instead of feeling weak, I'm just going to get mad at you, right? I'm mad at you. But I have found that, man, we can work through some stuff, some really complicated things, if we try and have the conversation from the first emotion. 
and not the second one. Like, for instance, that little tiff I got into with my wife. Anger wasn't my first emotion. It wasn't. She said something that hurt my feelings. It felt a little bit below the belt. But how do you feel in this culture, guys, when you get your feelings hurt? Does that make you feel tough? No. The idea of going to her and saying, you hurt my feelings. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, it makes you feel kind of weird and small and weak, right? And so instead of just admitting that, what I got mad. I got mad because mad feels woo. It feels strong, right? And so I flew off. And, you know, but after a little bit of time driving around and some curiosity, I realized, no, you know what? What she said hurt my feelings. And we actually had a really great conversation about it. And we got somewhere with it. And so when you get angry, get curious, Right? Where's the anger coming from? What's the first emotion? Because those conversations with the people who are the most important in our lives, right? And we got to work something out. And I have found that those conversations go much better when we figure out what the first emotion was. And we talk about it from that place. Are you feeling me? Are you still out there? Yeah? Well, so this, this momentary anger, though, it isn't really what this passage is talking about. It's about a more specific kind of anger. You see, the Greek language is a very, like, very specific language. They got six different words for love. We got one, and we use it for everything, right? But they're very exact. And so uh, they had actually have two different words for anger that gets used all throughout the Scriptures. One is the word thumos, and it's that anger that just sort of flares up. It's like when you're driving, and somebody takes forever to turn right. Ugh. I mean, that is just, that is my pet peeve. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're going to come to a complete stop before you turn. Like, that just makes me angry, right? So there's that. It's sort of there, and then it's gone. That's not the word that Paul uses here, though. The word that he uses is a form of the word orge, which is the brooding sort of anger. It's the kind of anger we ruminate on. It's the kind of anger that we, where we play that thing over and over again in our mind. It's the anger that we hold on to. Or more specifically, the word here is actually, it's para It means submerged anger. It's anger that's gotten beneath the surface. It's sort of sunk in. And here's what I know about this kind of anger, y'all. This kind of anger always has a face. And it has a name. It comes from somebody. There's a wound. There's a hurt. Are you with me? So if you're here and you're wondering, you know, if you're dealing with this kind of anger, here's some signs. Maybe you are. I've shared these before, but it's so helpful for me. You know, if, if you're here and you're wondering if you struggle with anger, if it's gotten beneath the surface, you're holding on to it, here's some signs. One, maybe you can't say their name, but you just refer to them as like my brother, my ex-wife. You ever pay attention to that? You can't, can't say their name anymore? You know, my old boss, right? My, my neighbor, my sister. My co- you, just, you can't say their name, but you say sort of who they were to you. Or, or somebody, when they say their name, the people around you brace themselves. <laughs> All the air gets sucked out of the room. Oh, they said the name, right? We know what's about to come. Maybe holding on to anger if when something good happens to them or for them, you can't be happy about it. Or maybe you might be holding on to anger if you can't think of them without thinking about what they did or said to you. It's all wrapped up in one thing. That's the only thing you can remember them for. You know, or uh, anger might be getting the best of you if you're quick to bring them up whenever a new opportunity comes your way. 
Something about what they did or they said, it hurts you, and now it's impacted your outlook on the future. Or it's like when somebody's sharing with you something they're dealing with, struggling with, you're really quick to talk about your thing. You know what I'm talking about? You got Every conversation gets hijacked by it. It might be a sign you're holding on you know, to some anger. Or anger's getting the best of you if you find a way to blame them or what happened to you for pretty much everything that doesn't go your way. If that wouldn't have happened, if they wouldn't have, then this. Just some signs. Maybe anger is getting the best of us. And so listen to what he says next in verse 26. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. This was a really popular saying in that day. It was like a proverb, something your parents would sort of say to you, right? And so Paul's referencing that. You know, he's like, you know how your parents say to you, do not let the sun go down on your anger? He's like, it's true. That's true. Don't let the sun Go down on, the ang- on your anger. Essentially, he's saying carry your anger for as short a time as possible. Because if you aren't careful, it will get beneath the surface. It gets eternalized. And it becomes this pollution that just stinks up everything. Anger with somebody that gets submerged doesn't stay isolated to them. It sort of creeps into everything. It's like collard greens. Y'all like collard greens? Mm. I love me some collard greens, that, that pepper vinegar and some ketchup on them. Anybody do that? I just ruin it. That's ruined. Oh, yeah. A little bit of ketchup, a little bit of pepper vinegar. Think about collard greens, though. What do collard greens do to the whole house? That smell doesn't just stay in the kitchen, right? The whole house smells like a toot, right? You can't surprise somebody by making them collard greens, you know? Like my wife, they're my, they're my wife's favorite, and my mother-in-law, she makes the best collard greens, right? And so even if my mother-in-law was trying to surprise, I'm going to make her collard greens, she's not going to know. As soon as we pull in the driveway, we're going to know, right? Because we're going to smell it. Right? You can't isolate the smell. Right? But in the same way, you can't isolate anger. Anger, it just creeps in to everything. Unresolved anger, it doesn't stay isolated. We carry, with it, carry it with us into every other relationship. And so Paul's advice is really straightforward here. Listen again to what he says towards the end of this passage. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. He says, get rid of it. It's like he uses every word he has available to him, every synonym for anger, he uses it. He just uses all of them. Get rid of it. I mean, the language here is like, take it to the trash. Take it outside and drop it off on the curb. Do not Carry it longer than you have to. There's an urgency here. And that's because the longer you leave anger unattended, the harder it is to identify the original hurt. If you don't address it soon enough, it's easy to lose sight of the original wound. And so maybe there's somebody in your life, you know, and it's like they're just always angry. They're just mad at everything. And they even maybe brought it into your relationship. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a friend, coworker. They sort of brought this anger. And, they, and sometimes they almost think it's your fault. They make it feel like it's your fault for their anger. But you know, this was here before we even met. This anger was here. And you feel like you have to walk on eggshells around them. Their temper's just so short. See, what's, what's weird is they're almost in some ways making you pay for a hurt you didn't cause. They're hurt so long ago. They're having a hard time connecting the dots. And so they're holding you accountable for an account that's not even yours. It was somebody else. They waited too long. They sat with it. They let it get beneath the surface. 
And so what does Paul say? Paul says, get rid of it. Don't hold on to it. And what I love about this is he doesn't give us a whole bunch of practical advice on how to get. He doesn't give us a three-step process. And that's what so many people want. We talk about anger. Well, how do I? How do I get rid of the anger? That's not the problem. That is not the problem when it comes to our anger. We don't need a three-step process. The hard part is getting us to stop defending our anger. That's the hard part. To stop justifying it. You see, the real trouble with our anger is that we tend to spend all this energy defending our anger because of how we got it. Instead of doing whatever we can do to get rid of it. Don't we? If I were to sit down and poke, poke and prod about why you're so mad, I'd probably, but you don't know what I went through. You don't know what I, that they did to me. You don't know how that, I hear you. I hear you. But real quick, do you want to get rid of it? Do you really want to get rid of it? Stop justifying it. Because here's the thing, it doesn't help us anyway. I remember a few years ago, my wife and I went through something with some people that we thought we were really close to. And it felt like betrayal. You ever been betrayed? That's what it felt like. People we kind of let get close to us. And then they use stuff against us. And you're just like, man, I didn't think like, you would do that. It just, was, just really came out of nowhere. And it hurt. And it made me so mad. I was so angry. And I'm not normally an angry person. I'm not. Like, anger isn't something that usually gets me into trouble. But, man, this just ate me up. I spent so much time thinking about it. I lost, I lost sleep over it. You ever been there before? And, like, it was literally like everything was one step away from being about that thing. You know, somebody would talk about something, and I would, you know, hear one letter in that person's name, and immediately I'm, like, thinking about it again. It's just constantly there. You ever been there, you know? And there was this moment, though, where it hit me, and I'm like, you know what the worst part of this is? They're not thinking about it as much as I am. They're probably not even thinking about me at all. They're not losing sleep over this. They're just kind of doing their thing. They're still just sort of walking. And it hit me, man, you know, one of the reasons we hold on to our anger is because we think if we don't, we're letting them off the hook. Who are we letting off the hook? Us. Us. It's not about them anyway. This is about you. Being willing to let go of something that is eating you alive. He says, get rid of it. Take it to the trash. Drop it off. And so he wraps his whole teaching up in verse 32. And he says this, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. There it is, the F word. I mean, Don Henley's saying about it, we got to talk about it. He's right, though, isn't he? It's about forgiveness. Forgiveness. We can't talk about anger without talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness is our response to anger. And so we do need to talk about it a bit. You know, what is it, right? What is, what is forgiveness? And it's funny. I always try to think of something new to talk about when forgiveness, but if forgiveness is forgiveness. It's not rocket science. What it is is what makes it hard. Am I right? I mean, the word literally means to close an account. That's what it means. The word was a banking term. It means to close an account. It's this idea that you should have, but you didn't. You took something from me. You owe me. But I'm choosing to cancel that. I love, I love the fact that it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't shy away from the fact that something is owed. Some of us, that's the reason why we're having a hard time forgiving. Because what we're just trying to do is forget. It's not the same thing. Real forgiveness 
is about identifying what's been taken. There's a real debt there. There's a real debt. Own it. You can't send it away unless you recognize it at first. Are you with me? But it means to send away. That's what it means. It's making a decision to no longer carry this, this hurt around anymore. I'm going to send it away. For me, I know I've forgiven somebody. Particularly, I knew when I forgave my dad. That was a long process for me. You know, we lost relationship. We didn't talk for a long time. Some of you know this. Some of you don't. You know, I didn't go and see my dad until I found out he had stage 4 lung cancer. And so I made sure to go and talk to my dad, and we made peace, right? But I knew I forgave my dad when I stopped holding him accountable for my future. Because for a long time, it was like, I am the way that I am because of that. You know what I mean? I struggle with this because I knew I forgave him when I stopped doing that. It was like I was able to say, hey, you know what? I've got some deficits. (laughs) There's some tools that aren't in my tool belt. And you have something to do with that. But from here on out, that's not going to be an excuse anymore. I'm not going to let what happened back there dictate what happens from here on out. You know? And the funny thing is, this is unscripted too. Um, it's like when we do that, we, we can realize how blinding anger can be. Because like we said earlier, a lot of times when anger seeps in, all we can remember that person for is the bad thing. And what's been really cool for me you know, the last several years, he passed away three years ago, is all the stuff's coming back to me about my dad was more than that. My dad was more than the guy that disappointed me and let me down. He was also a really good dad sometimes, too. And I had a moment the other day in a parking lot. I saw this van for a company that you used to work for. And all these memories came back to me out of nowhere about how he used to take me around in that van. We had some of the best times together while he would, you know, go and do his work. And so it's like, that's been really beautiful for me as I've worked through this. It's like, it's not saying some of the things that happened and the reasons why the relationship fell apart weren't real. They were real, right? They were real, and they hurt. But that's not all that he was, you know? And so that's been a kind of gift uh, to come out of this, you know, for me. Oh, where was that? Because that was totally off script. But forgiveness and reconciliation aren't the same thing. i got to say this. I have to. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation requires two people. Right? You can forgive people from a distance. Do you know that? You can. There are some people who the most loving thing for them and for you is to not be in relationship anymore. That's okay. Right? Just because you cannot be in relationship with them does not mean that you can't forgive them. You can forgive them from a distance. Everybody say amen to that. You can. You know, this is the part that really hit me. It's one of those things you just come back to. You can forget but our forgiveness for others has everything to do with God's forgiveness for us. It's like what Paul says in Ephesians 4, forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I think we need to keep this in perspective. Not from a guilt or obligation, you know, you're a sinner and Christ forgave you. I think what this does more than anything is to remind yourselves, hey, invite God into this. Invite God into this. Don't try and do this on your own. Keep this in perspective. And you know, I found on a personal level that forgiveness is always easier when I've done my own internal work. Right? When I'm actually living in close proximity to God's grace for me, it's way easier to extend that grace to others. Right? When we have to make room for our own darkness and our own shortcomings, then it's a little easier to do that for others. But, but often... 
When it comes to our issues with anger and our struggles with unforgiveness, we're holding on to a debt that that person may never pay back and probably wouldn't be able to even if they tried. I mean, how much, how much do they have to suffer for it to be enough? When would it be enough? Can you answer that question? How miserable do they have to be, right? They can't go back and fix it. They, they can't take it back. They can't give you back your innocence or your childhood. Your, your dad may never say that he's sorry. And so if our peace depends on them paying us back, then we may, we may never know peace. And I shared this a while back too, but I remember when I was in Ohio, I served as pastor for a guy who was on death row. I would go and visit him you know, every, every now and then. And there's something that I learned from that experience is that closure doesn't come from revenge. Like in talking to people who are close to this issue, people who work, you know, for, for these folks who advocate for people on, on death row, they shared with me that families of the victims often look forward to the execution of their loved one's murder with this anticipation that once they're dead, like once they pay for what they did, then they'll have closure. Like then they'll know peace. But more often than not, after the execution, members of the family are worse than they were before because now there's nothing to distract them. There's nothing to look forward to. There's nobody left to hate. They just sit there with it still. They thought it would take it away, and it didn't. Revenge, getting your payback, is not going to give you the peace that you really long for. I'll say it like this. People can't take from you anything that God cannot heal in you. Do you believe that? People can't take anything from you that God cannot heal in you. See, if we try to do this on our own, we're not going to make it. We need God to do something in us, in our hearts, in our inner life. We need God to give us peace. And this is really what the cross is about. We're in the season of Lent right now, those of you who practice Lent. It's this journey towards the cross. The cross isn't just about God dealing with our sin. It's also about God dealing with our hurts. Because on the cross, God is the ultimate sufferer. Jesus takes on our suffering, our hurt, and our pain as the innocent victim. He takes it, and then he overcomes it in the resurrection. We can entrust God, not only our sin, but our hurt and our pain, and trust that God's going to do something new with it. And so in forgiving us, God is refusing to allow our wrong to have the final say. And in forgiving others, we are refusing to allow our wounds to have the last word. Quick, I'll leave you with this, and then we got to go. I'm going to pray for us, though. A three-step process. <laughs> That's actually been helpful for me when it comes to dealing with some of this stuff. And none of this is my idea, by the way. I'm ripping this off. A lot of the series is, is based on a series Andy Stanley did forever ago called It Came From Within. And he, he offered this three-step process, and I've been practicing ever since. It's been so helpful for me. If it comes to really dealing with our sort of the anger we hold on to, the first thing we got to do is name who. Remember, that anger has got a face. It's got a name. Who hurt you? It's like people who say they're mad at the church. You can't be mad at a faceless institution. You're mad at somebody in the church. Somebody hurt you. Somebody said somebody something. Somebody rejected you. Maybe it was a lot of somebody's. Nowadays, it kind of feels like that's possible, right? But there's somebody. Who? Who? Who was it? You know, and the temptation is to often look kind of in the immediate vicinity. I want to challenge you this week, though. Go back a season or two. Go back. 
Where did it really come from? It's so easy to blame that person we're living with right now. But there's a really good chance you brought this anger into that relationship. It's actually an account you still have open with somebody from a long time ago. And I thought about having a cross up here and we do the thing where we burn it and drop it off. But no, real forgiveness takes work. It's going to take some time. Don't rush through this. Who is it? Name who? And then identify what. And this is the hard part. This is where the work has to come. What did they take from you? What did they hurt? How did they hurt you? What did they steal from you? Maybe it was your childhood. You didn't have a chance to be a kid. Maybe it was your first marriage. And they took some years from you. Is what it feels like? Name it. What is it? And this is where you got to spend some time. I mean, come back to it. Like, write some stuff down and then come back to it. It's not going to be clear right away. But again, right, how seriously do we have to take our hearts? We tend to avoid this work because it's difficult. But I'm telling you, if you want to experience healing, you got to do the work. Invite God into it. What did they take from you? you got to name it. And then finally, the third step, you got to send it away. And I want to encourage you to do something practical with this. This is why you hear about people lighting stuff on fire. Because forgiveness is very, it's, it's, it's not tangible. You can't see it. you got to do something you feel, tactile. I remember taking some, somebody one time to, to a lake, and they wrote it on a rock, and they threw it in a rock. It was something they had to do as a symbol of saying, okay, I know who, I know what, now I'm choosing to send it away. And they did something with their bodies. And the beautiful thing is they had something to look back and remind themselves of when it came back, because it's going to come back, isn't it? You can say, you know what? You know what? I burned that. I dropped that off. I sent it away. I did something with it. So this week, that's my challenge to you, right? Don't just hear this and, and forget about it and go on. When you go home, start the process. Name who. Identify what. And then when you're ready, send it away. And what I know is some of you might need to talk to somebody today, right? Because this is new. It's raw. I'm here for you, right? If you're here and you want to talk or you want to pray, I know it can be a little crazy uh, as we pack everything up. Actually, no, we're not packing up today. All of you that don't touch anything, keep it up for dinner tonight, right? But if you're here and you'd really benefit from, from processing some of this with me or you want me to pray with you, please, I'll be hanging out up front. We can do that, okay? We're just getting started. You looking forward to this series? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much that you love us the way that we are. I thank you so much that you promised to not leave us that way. And the good news of the gospel isn't just about life after death. It's also about life right now. And your spirit can do a new work in us. And so I just pray for anybody in the room who's holding on to anger. Maybe just begin to peel their fingers back a bit. Just confront them with the truth that they're not making anybody else suffer by holding on to this anger. They're hurting themselves. And so just as we leave here, I pray that you just bring to mind and remind us of this process. Naming the who, identifying the what, and then sending it away and trusting it to you. And Lord, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, help us to remember that on the cross, not only do you forgive all of our shortcomings, but you also overcome all of our hurt, all of our wounds. You take those on yourself, and you overcome them with your self-giving love. Help us to entrust that to you. I thank you so much for what you're going to do. 
in our lives as we leave this place. And I pray that you use us wherever we go, with whoever we meet, just to share some good news about who you are and what you're up to in our lives. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, thank you so much for coming. I hope to see you back tonight at the big table. We'd love for you to share this message with your friends on your own social media platforms. Peace. See you next week.